Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, it's a great night. I am young, tall, handsome, and wealthy, and I'm on the air. Well, shit, I'm on the air anyway. <laughs> I was about to say, no, nothing in that sentence was true. <laughs> I'm on the air. Uh, you know, Benny, we... Uh, we say it all the time about how we love we love the good conversations and the good stories, and I know we're going to get some good ones tonight, and we should have some interesting. Uh, we've got a, I know you and I were talking before we went to record about the questions we have, so it should be a good one. Uh, why don't you tell everybody who's joining us tonight? Okay, we have a former wrestler and a wrestling trainer, par extraordinaire, par excellence, Mister Mike Hollow. Mike, welcome to, to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hey, guys, great to be here, and uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, it should be a good time for all of us. Always. And, you know, speaking of, of wrestling training, this is another episode uh, brought to you by our sponsors, the uh, Boogie Woogie Man and his wrestling school. Benny, uh, you got some good words on them. Absolutely. Dan and Benny in the Ring is brought to you by Boogie's Wrestling Camp, founded in 1992 by wrestling legend Jimmy Valiant and his beautiful wife, Angel. BWC is situated in majestic, scenic Shawsville, Virginia. Whether you want to be a wrestler, manager, announcer, or valet, BWC is the place to be at BWC. You'll receive the best possible training from Jimmy and his amazing staff. You'll learn holes, bumps, psychology, promos, and much more. The cost is just $250 down at $20. $20 per session. Boogie's Wrestling Camp has turned out 29 graduating classes, with the most notable alumnus being uh, AEW World Champion, Hangman Adam Page. When you join BWC, you're not just joining a wrestling school. You become a part of the, the BWC family. Interested? Uh, visit jimmyvaliant.weebly.com for more information on Boogie's Wrestling Camp. BWC, the ring of dreams where the dream becomes reality. And tell them Dan and Benny sent you. Can't go, uh, can't go wrong with that, uh, Mike. I know. I again, I appreciate you being here. Um, you have a lot of experience, and, and Benny said it in the introduction with uh, wrestling camps and and training. But we have to get started with the beginning. Benny and I ask it almost every week, and it's a different answer. You grew up in the New England area. Now that was the WWWF. Uh, there was a lot of good independent promotions everywhere from Boston and, and further north. Um, what age, when, when did the bug get you? When did you look at professional wrestling and say, that's what I'm going to do? You know, it's funny. It's, it's a great question. And uh, I remember it ever so vividly. Um, you know, a young kid, five, six years old, Saturday morning, you know, watching TV and um, first time seeing professional wrestling, Channel 56. And, um, you know, just watching that hour of wrestling and, and basically saying to myself, I want to do that. And it's something that I just held, you know, close to my, you know, close to me with where as I was getting older, there was always a keen interest. And in, uh, um, so for me, it was just, you know, that young kid, five years old, you know, watching TV on a Saturday morning and just with where I was hooked and all the way through my early teen years to high school, college, um, and then having an opportunity to um, work for WWF on the ring crew and 
spend a period of time doing that, traveling around the different parts of the country and really being able to see the different parts of the business, you know, as I hadn't seen it before. Um, and then after my two year stint with them, Killer Kowalski's wrestling's pro wrestling school was located in Malden, Massachusetts. And I grew up in Saugus, which was the next town over. Um, so in that July of 1992, I decided to go to 170 Pleasant Street, Malden, Mass, to um, stick my head in the door, and the rest is history. So, Mike, just to backtrack a second, um, when you say Saturday morning, are you talking about All-Star Wrestling with uh, Joe McHugh? Or is yeah. that a little bit before yeah. you? Okay. No, that that's you're spot on, and um, it just, um, I was hooked. So were you a babyface guy? Were you a heel guy? Were you a Bruno guy? Who were, you, who were your favorites? Uh, I like Bruno, you know, Pedro Morales, um, you know, obviously Walter, um, you know, Putski, Superstar, Billy Graham. There was a whole slew of them. I was just, um, you know, the whole, um, the whole thing just really um, with where I was just gravitating towards it. And it's just something that stuck with me and said, um, something I just didn't let go of as a young kid all the way to my, you know, early um, elder years. When, when did you go to your first show? Just out of curiosity. My first show. Um, so as I started fan. with Walter. And I, oh, I was a fan. Oh, I yes. was going to the, um, the, I was going to the old garden uh, every month. So I would probably say around 12, 13 years old, religiously, I'd go to the garden every month with a family friend, and watch the matches, and um, that was just um, that was just exciting. Big difference now between the fans you're watching watching now and the fans watching then. You know, you, you look at the crowds back then, and I, I, one of my favorite promotions is Memphis Wrestling, and um, I still watch the stuff from the early '80s. And the, the reaction of the people in that TV studio—they're 100% emotionally invested. And, you know, going back, like watching uh, crowds at the Philly Spectrum or the Boston Guard or MSG, same thing. You had that huge uh, emotional reaction from the fans, which I think is something that unfortunately is missing today. Yeah. You know, you bring up a great point. The energy level in the buy-in and the frenzy of, of the fans back then, I mean, the roof was coming off the garden because it was just so loud. Um, and I think fans today have a more reserved approach. I mean, it gets loud, but it's um, it was definitely um, deafening back then with where they were really in tune and connected with what was happening, you know, with their heroes. I, I think you just you said a key word there, heroes, because I think, you know, my, my hero is Bruno. And when I bought a ticket, I went to go see Bruno. <clears throat> of course, I mean, I enjoy the other matches and everything, but I think nowadays – People don't buy a ticket to see a particular wrestler. They 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 buy a ticket just for the experience, and you know, they, yeah. they, you know they're more invested in the moves, I think, and the high spots than they are the wrestlers. Yeah. You know, to your point, um, you know, the fans back then, even for me, from that perspective, and when I was a fan, uh, the Brunos, the Walters, the superstar Billy Graham's, the Adrian's, Adrian Adonis, the Don Morocco's. You know, they really resonated with us, um, with where they were able to really, or we were able to really connect with them. And today, it's just a fan experience of being able to say that, the, you know, fans went. Um, so it's totally two different things from my standpoint, how I look at it. 
Absolutely. You know, Benny, how many times have we had heard stories on the show about, you know, the, the heels come out, especially, you know, we, we've we've told stories with, uh, you know, the, the NWA or Memphis, you know, and, and Jerry Lawler starts getting a beating or heaven forbid somebody somebody puts their hands on, you know, say somebody like one of the uh, Magnum TA or, or one of the Rock and Roll Express and fans would jump the guardrail or, you know, you'd see older people in the crowd swinging canes and, and umbrellas. I mean, uh, everybody from Freddie Blassie to Jim Cornette has stories of, of some fan throwing or hitting them with something. And yeah, I mean, you, you do still get the occasional goober that jumps the, the guardrail, but it's often an attention thing, an internet thing, and not the uh, because they're going after a heat magnet and they, and they broke them up here. Hmm. But um, I want to go back. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and I, and I think, you know, you bring up a good point with where, you know, in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, I think um, the wrestlers, you know, during those eras were really able to connect from a raw emotion standpoint um, and with where they had the ability with their in-ring work, their character, just to really to create a frenzy type of mindset, you know, with the audience. And today, you know, as you alluded to, it's more of a move set opposed to, you know, that emotional investment with where, um, with what we're so, you know, really looking for from, you know, from the guys and girls that are working today. Absolutely. You know, I want to go back. You, you were talking about uh, in the answer, uh, getting into wrestling, that you were the next town over from Kowalski's wrestling school. Um, I was wondering. Uh, Benny and I ha- had talked about this before the show. When you got into uh, training and working with Kowalski, you initially wrestled under the IWF, the the International Wrestling Federation. Um, Correct. And I was yep. I was I was wondering because uh, uh, Benny actually noted your your second match was against the the man who would become Perry Saturn, uh, a very mm-hmm. good good career through WCW and and. ECW and his his life, um, but I was wondering if you had uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your experience in the IWF and and any of the subsequent indies that came from that. Um, a, a great um, a great opportunity to you know for a guy like me starting out and so many others, a place to cut our teeth. Um, you know the talent was you know good local talent from the Perrys you know to the Paul Levex, the Tony Roy's, uh, the John Cronus, uh, Giant Ron Reese. Uh, and a whole host of others. Um, so good quality shows, um, you know, working with Perry, you know, so early on in my career, you know, was, you know, interesting. You know, he was a couple of years ahead of me. So, um, again, just a, a real good opportunity. But, um, you know, I was just fortunate to be in the right time at the right place to, you know, have those opportunities to work with, um, you know, so many different people that as Walter was bringing in, uh, you know, during that time frame. What what was it like to be trained by Killer Kowalski? I mean, you talk about, you know, the the term legend is used so loosely in wrestling. You will not find, if you talk to a thousand wrestling fans, a thousand wrestling fans would say that Killer Kowalski was a legend. Nobody would ever argue that. What what was it like to be trained by him? Um, You know, it was kind of surreal, and it's something that I will never forget. From the first time that I went to Malden, Mass., to climb the stairs, Walter's dojo was located up on the second floor. 
And, um, you know, and even for me, you know, with where I spent two years in the business and, you know, really kind of seeing with what was going on um, and seeing Walter at, uh, you know, at the shows on occasion, but now being under his tutelage or under his guidance, um, you know, I was intimidated, you know, here's this ominous figure, you know, been on top of the wrestling business for 20 years as a huge star. And, um, you know, it was, um, A, you're having so much to learn. And, you know, Walter was of the old school mindset with where he was gruff. He wasn't afraid to get after you. Um, and really the interesting thing for me is, you know, once I really got to know Walter, you know, from his persona with what he portrayed to who he really was as a person, um, it was night and day. Um, but, you know, I would be lying to you if I told you that I was nervous, intimidated, and scared. <laughs> He, he was one of those guys, I mean, growing up in the 60s, I was legitimately, as a kid, afraid of him. I was, I was terrified by him. And I was terrified yeah. that he was going to be the guy that beat Bruno and become the heavyweight champion. I, like, I couldn't even surmise it, like, how bad that would be if that happened. But um, definitely one of, the, one of the true legends. Yeah, totally opposite um, from with what he portrayed. And, you know, jokingly, he would say to me, you know, Mike, I might be known as a hill, but I'm really an angel. And he <laughs> believed that. I mean, he was just a, a kind, com, uh, compassionate, um, would do anything for you type of human being. Um, and, you know, I couldn't have ever been so fortunate and lucky, you know, to be able to, if you, you know, I'll, I'll put it from this standpoint, I wouldn't be able to do with what I do today if it wasn't for Walter in terms of giving me the opportunity that he gave me. So very much appreciative of that. Excellent. Have you, uh, when you talk about the way he did with the, the status and all, uh, I'm curious, is there anything he did in your time there or that you've seen in through the years uh, as far, we're going to cycle back to his training, but is there anything that he did that, just worked or was different that you can see you can watch people as they came out of his classes and go that's a kowalski guy um yeah you know one of the things that walter would always stress upon to all of us whether you ended up becoming a big star or a, a local local star working in independent shows he would always say to all of us make you know you know um become noticed make people want to watch you um and he just he couldn't stress that enough with where you know make it with where all eyes are paying attention to you with what you're doing you know in that ring when it's your opportunity you know to you know to do with what you do um he was a huge proponent or advocate of that mike uh you did have a run in the then world wrestling federation uh, tell us uh, about that and any good stories you have. I saw you have a, I saw a match between you and uh, Steve Blackman, who was one of my favorites back in that era. So tell us about that experience. No, it was um, so I got to meet Steve Blackman. I was invited to a couple a couple of the uh, dojo camps that they were running in Connecticut um, when uh, the office was affiliated with uh, a local promotion back here. So he was on some shows and, you know, and then I had the opportunity to work with him at a, at a television taping and he was great. Um, just, um, you know, great to work with. Um, he was, you know, just like one of us. And, 
he was very giving to me with where he gave me some opportunities in, you know, you know, during the match with where he didn't have to, uh, took very good care of me. And, um, so just, you know, an overall great experience to say the least. You know, were you speaking, doing a lot of, um, go, ahead, go ahead, Benny. Oh, were you, were you doing like doing a lot of, uh, road travel with the WWF? Um, so, um, I had the opportunity to do some of their camp shows that they were doing during the summertime. Um, I worked some house shows for them at different times. Um, also being able to, you know, be invited to some of the, you know, the dojo camps, you know, that they were running with where the, you know, Adam, you know, Copeland was, you know, Val Venus, um, you know, Matt Bloom, you know, draws. So I was really in the mix of it, doing some different things, you know, working with a bunch of different people. Um, so again, you know, those opportunities really helped me in my formative years of, you know, um, knowing with what the office was looking for when I was going back to Kowalski, you know, trying to, um, you know, teach some of the newer things that WWE or WWF was looking for, um, you know, as I was trying to take Walter's, Walter's school and, and working with him to the next level. Absolutely. Speaking of matches, it, it, you know, uh, Benny, again, the, the, the numbers guy, he went through the records and found that you had a his, uh, several matches with uh, Knuckles Nelson. He was a, a guest on the show. I know he listens. He's probably listening now. I was curious, one, if you remember any of that run. That was uh, Brendan Higgins. Uh, one, if you remember any of those. And two, it, it, since you know he's listening, if you have anything you'd like to shout out to him. Well, my jaw still hurts from all for as stiff as he was in the <laughs> ring. No, I'm just kidding. They no, call him knuckles for always, nothing, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I got a couple of loose teeth because of knuckles, but you know, with that all being said, no, he was always great to work with. When I was had the opportunity to work with Tony Rumble's crew, uh, him and Eric Sprazier, you know, uh, good chemistry back and forth. One of the you know the better local indie guys you know, in the New England area, you know, back in the early 90s when we had an opportunity to cross paths. And, um, you know, the great thing thing about the wrestling business now, uh, being able to reconnect with him and I just, uh, a little bit side story, just having him come to talk to the students about the do's and don'ts of the business and how, and um, so, um, again, great guy, great to work with. And um, I'm, you know, grateful that we were able to uh, reconnect again. He, he did tell me to say thank you for imparting your knowledge to him. And he mentioned uh, the great Tony Rumble, I think, called you Stretcher McGee. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know if I was a stretcher or if I was the guy being stretched. but Stretchy you know, McGee? <laughs> yeah, Stretchy McGee. But that was the nickname Tony gave us uh, when I was working in a tag team situation with another local guy by the name of Tim McNeeny. Okay. Yep. So, uh, Mike, now transition into, you know, from wrestling to training. How did you morph in, you know, from becoming a wrestler to becoming a trainer? How did that all happen? Well, I, you know, I, I realized that I wasn't getting to, I wasn't getting with where I wanted to be um, aspiration-wise with WWE or WWF. And uh, I always had a keen interest of teaching and in, in, um and, and Walter really giving me an opportunity to, you know, as he was getting older in age, um, to really start helping him and uh, him letting me impart some of the things that I was taking away from the training camps that I was doing. 
uh, different people that I had become friends with in the business. Um, with Will, we were really trying to grow Walter's school to be um, just synonymous with pro wrestling training. And um, it's just something that I really gravitated towards, fell in love. Um, I selfishly really enjoy seeing a student come in, male or female, and looking at that journey from, you know, for the, from the beginning to the middle and to with where they end up both in and out of the ring. And, you know, there's nothing more exciting to see the growth of people, you know, both inside and outside of the ring. Speaking, if, if I can have you expand on that, uh, let's say at the training, because we, we've talked to trainers and we've had the stories in the past. It, a student shows up and tells you or somebody who, who a potential student, you know, shows up and says they want to be a professional wrestler. What's the, what's the vetting process? What's the feeling out process? How do you weed out who you're going to spend time training versus who's you're not even going to waste time with? You know, um, you know, it's one of those things with where um, I've seen so many people, both male and female come and go and drop a lot of money on training. And, um, you know, they tell me all these wonderful things and why they want to do this and why they want to do that. And, uh, you know, it's a process with where it really kind of takes care of itself uh, because once they realize, you know, the physical and the mental toll, um, the sacrifices that have to be made, it really weeds itself out on its own. And, um, you know, for the guys and girls that keep coming back for more, you know, that's with where you, you can say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to invest my time in him or her um, because there's something about them with where they're just thirsty with where, whether it's for knowledge or showing them different things, you know, they've got the right mindset, they're coachable. And, um, you know, and the others just kind of, they just kind of just drop off and uh, it just kind of really self-polices and, and takes care of itself, to be honest with you. So say they, they they make the cut, right, Mike, and uh, they pay yeah. their money, and now now they're in the the, the school. It, uh, a lot of people's perception, I think, the average fan is you, know, you you plunk your money down, you learn a couple of holes, and you go your way. And and maybe some schools are actually like that, but you know, from from reading and doing research about your your school, there's so much more than that. Um, you know, there, there's the psychology, there's the character development, there's the promos. So. What what is it like if, if I'm in your school like a typical week? Um, you know, do you have promo classes one day, you have you know character development the next day. How how does that work? So we really look at it with where it's a 360 approach. Um, and for me, um, and it's just you know my flavor. I think you know one of the things that's just so vitally important, um, and whether it's pro sports or professional wrestling. Um, we really trying to keen in on, on the, the, the fundamentals, the basics of and with what that really looks like. Because if that piece of the puzzle isn't right, we're either getting noticed for the right reasons or we're getting noticed for the wrong reasons. So us and our approach are, is that we really trying to hone in on those skills, create a level of understanding with what it takes and why we're going down the road that we're, you know, that we're going down how it's going to be beneficial for them. We certainly don't want to put the, the roof on before the foundation. So we spend a lot of time in the weeds and um, you know, it's the nuts and bolts. And, but if that stuff isn't taken care of and cleaned up from a footwork standpoint, ring positioning standpoint, timing, execution, facial expressions, body language, transitions, 
um, know your way in and out of the ring. Potentially, it's a recipe for disaster. And, um, you know, we're doing a disservice to the, the guys and girls that are coming to the school that are asking to be trained properly. Um, so I really, and with the help of others, really try to hone in on, hone in on that. Because I want our students to be noticed for all the right reasons, opposed to that they're, you know, missing things that are going to get them noticed for, and not create opportunities for them. My quick follow-up question to that. So when you, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Is it pretty much a case where after a day or so, you're going to look at somebody and say they have it or they don't have it? Or are there cases where, like, you, you think, well, this guy doesn't have it, and, you know, maybe a week or two later, like, it, it, all of a sudden it clicks? Does that ever happen? Um, you know, I can I can watch a guy or I can watch a girl, and you can see kind of with where they're at from an athleticism stand athleticism standpoint, you know, and that's a vital piece. But probably the other piece that's to the puzzle that's that's essential is one's ability to be coached because there's just so much. So you can have all the physical attributes to be successful. But if you don't have those intangibles of being coachable, being able to take constructive criticism, um, having a plan, knowing how to put things in place, um, it's, you know, it's a, a real tough road because, you know, any of your big stars today will tell you that someone along the way helped them get them to, you know, to with where they are. Um, so the coachable piece is vital. The athleticism piece is a huge part. And just being able to put all that together um, is 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 what's, what's really important. Before we get back, because uh, I, I know Benny and I both have some more questions related to training. I was hoping to get your thoughts on something. This was a, a news story that came out a couple of days ago. The WWE announced what they call NIL, which is the Next in Line program, and it's basically a a, a training slash scouting program where they're going to find athletes, uh, football players, uh, maybe mixed martial artists, basketball players, some uh, people outside the world of wrestling that they see as marketable wrestlers and then throw as much money at them as needed to get them to train in wrestling. And I was wondering, as a trainer, as someone who's had, I mean, we've all heard the stories from from wrestling students that people who literally sleep in their cars, they show up at wrestling school with a few bucks in their pocket and nothing else. You know, th there's a a certain love and, and emotion required to want to be a professional wrestler versus somebody who decides to try wrestling because the company throw a, a company throws enough money at them. I was wondering if you have any thoughts as a trainer on what it would take to train somebody who's one in it for the money and two you're training more to uh, this per we're training this person to put them on television and make them a star versus I'm training this person to be a good wrestler. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand why WWE is doing it. I mean, they're looking to, you know, feed their program and, and, and find, you know, the next male and the next female superstar, but you brought up, you know, the point earlier with where, Know, so much for me, it's the passion piece, you know, the willing to sacrifice. And, um, you know, I'm not knocking, you know, that opportunity that's being presented to, you know, that program. But I just think there's something to be said about the guys and girls that have really grinded and cut their teeth 
and really understand, you know, the sacrifices that, because there's just so much that has to be sacrificed to get to that level. And, um, you know, but it's the business part of it and it's changing and WWE is looking for ways to feed their program, like a, a professional sports program from, you know, single A, double A, triple A. Um, so I get that piece. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to, you know, weed some of those people that don't have those things that they're looking for um, through their interactions and their, you know, from the conversations and, um, you know, what they're willing to put into it. So um, hopefully they have some checks and balances on the back end as well. Mike, you, you've trained a veritable who's who of professional wrestlers. Now, I have listed here China, Kofi Kingston and uh, Prince Albert to, to name a few. And you actually have a legacy now because Matt Bloom is one of the head trainers at WWE. Uh, tell us about some of these guys and how they were to train. So um, I didn't, so Matt and I were in the same class together at Kowalski. So I really hadn't taken over the range yet. Um, there were the likes of in, in China as well. Um, we were just um, transitioning with where I was starting to teach and she was there. Um, but the likes of, you know, Kofi, um, uh, Ivar, you know, uh, Biff Busick, Tommaso Ciampa, um, and a slew of others, um, you know, just a, a great training cr- class. And um, for Kofi, for example, he was an interesting guy or, and a uh, great person with where, you know, he graduated college from Boston College, was working for Staples. And uh, at the time, I was running the Chaotic Training Center in North Andover, Mass., and he showed up, and he was just one of those guys that was coming to class three to four days a week, didn't want to sit in the cu- a cubicle, realized that wasn't for him, and um, a few months in, we had the opportunity with our relationship with WWE, they came in, and he was just one of those guys that had that it factor that they were looking for, right time, right place. And, uh, you know, there it was 2005, and here it is 2021, and, you know, he's still going strong. And, you know, one of the things I'll share about Kofi is that um, to this day I can still reach out to him and uh, more than willing to give back and help me. And so hasn't forgot with where he came from. Mike, you you mentioned Tomasa Champa, who is absolutely one of my favorite wrestlers. I look at him and I think to myself – that guy showed up at your school, and I bet he was willing to do anything it took. And he like he worked anything. endlessly. And I, I, just yeah. looking at him, I picture that. Uh, hopefully, I'm right. No, you're you are 100 percent spot on. And I'll you know I'll sing the same you know, accolades as I share with Kofi and and with about Ivar as well. Um, you know, each one of those guys, their uh, stories of success is so so vastly different. Um, their a willingness and perseverance and being students of the game um, and the, the, the amount of times that they heard no, go find your way, you know, being released and, you know, to what, what they're doing now is just really a true testament, you know, who they are as human beings with where um, they just knew how never to give up and, and stayed after it. And, um, you know, I can't say enough about them, to be honest with you. Awesome. It, speaking of of Tommaso Ciampa is a great transition because he's one of the wrestlers you see today. Um, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Walter, uh, Hangman Page that we mentioned earlier, who are are 
they have been success stories in the world of wrestling and what's become the world of sports entertainment. But I also don't doubt for a second that someone like uh, a Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Walter, Hangman Page could have made it in the days of the territories. I could see, you know, Florida and Georgia and Memphis and wrestling the Von Ericks. I, I could see him being successful there. But speaking of sports entertainment, we talk a lot, Benny and I, on the show about the, the how wrestling evolved into sports entertainment. Things like in-ring psychology and, in some ways, good storytelling have kind of given a backseat or taken a backseat, excuse me, to the high spots. You know, a hundred super kicks a match and every match has to have brawls on the outside and high flying. And uh, I'm wondering, as that's become more and more of what the mainstay of wrestling, has the evolution from wrestling to sports entertainment has that influenced your training methods at all? Um, it's making it, it's made it with where it becomes more of a challenge with where new students come into the school and um, TV can be detrimental from a development standpoint because they think that's with where they need to be, either he or she. Um, and if you, and you use Tommaso as an example, a student of the game, great fundamentals, pure realism with his quality of his work and with what he does and the little nuances um, and being noticed for all of those right, the right reasons um, and understanding, knowing how to be in the weeds from an emotional standpoint and making the little things work for him. Um, and today from a training standpoint, saying to the guys and girls, with what you're seeing on TV is not with where we need to start. We need to start at the foundation level um, and that will evolve over a period of time. So, um, so there's those conversations that come up more often than not nowadays than opposed to maybe say five or 10 years ago with where the, the business was in a different spot. So Mike, we, we normally are not a controversial show, but and I just have one question. So uh, China in her autobiography was, was very critical of, of Walter and which, you know, one of the things I think she said was that she kept uh, that he kept people there longer than they needed to be because it was a money thing for him. And, you know, I I have two perspectives about Killer Kowalski. Well, besides being terrified as a kid, one was that was from Bruno in Bruno's book. Bruno spoke nothing but, you know, gave nothing but praise and respect to Walter and said what a what a well-conditioned, phenomenal, you know, professional he was. And then uh, our good friend, who's been on our show several times, Evan Ginsberg, actually wrote a story um, about Walter on for the Pro Wrestling Stories website. And it was just, you know, it was Walter, my friend. And kind of what you said in the beginning as far as what kind of person he was. So I really, it, it's kind of hard for me to square what China said versus what, you know, two, like two people I, I hugely respect. One was Bruno and one is Evan. So oh, is there any truth to that? Uh, her um, statements or comments <clears throat> regarding Walter um, completely false. Um, I can tell you that Walter was a huge advocate, um, called the office, called Shane McMahon, um, was going to bat for her, um, trying to create opportunities. Um, so it's interesting that she forgot all of that because um, he, he was one of her biggest allies way back when and trying to create an opportunity for her to get on you know the national stage 
So for me, it was disappointing because I was there, I was around, um, you know, having conversations with him, realizing with what he was trying to do, you know, having conversations after the fact with where he was very hurt and disappointed um, because Walter, um, and to his credit, would go out of his way to, if he saw something in whether a male or a female, you know, he was going to bat for his students. So it was, uh, it was disheartening because um, it was, it was so far from the truth. So just, just something to sell some books. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, you know, you often wonder why people make the statements that they do and, you know, do they forget with where they came from? Do they right. forget who helped them? Um, you know, it's just, you know, it really makes you scratch your head because, you know, he was really hurt by that. Um, you know, I remember, you know, having conversations with where um, he was disappointed because he, I knew of what he was doing. So you, you just, it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, why people do some of the things that they do or say some of the things that they say. You know, I tended not to believe it because, you know, in all the years I followed wrestling, you know, other than his, you know, he was a heel in the ring, but I have never, ever heard anyone say one bad thing about him. So when I heard that, it's like, that can't be true. I'm, I'm really glad. Thank you for uh, for sharing that with us. A very, a very giving and kind, um, you know, caring person, humble, um, just with what you saw on TV was completely opposite of if you had the opportunity to get to know him as, as a person. That, that just means he was great at his job, right? Tremendous. I mean, let's put it this way. Here was a guy that was on top for 20 years. How many people can actually say they've been on the top of the wrestling business for 20 years like Walter? He really was. I mean, uh, to the very end. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I, I don't want to keep harping on it because it's it's obviously i benny and i are are in agreement with you and and evan and others that that it's completely erroneous i'm curious having you said you were in the same class and having worked with her if you have any insight as to other than maybe uh like benny said just wanting to tell a story nobody's heard before to sell some books of why she would have said something like that when so many other people, including, and no offense to her, big names in the business that were bigger than she was that could have, that, that went through the same story could have, could have easily said not, not, not the case at all. Yeah. So I'll give you a quick little note with where, you know, one of the, you know, one of the great you know things with where I was able to really spend a lot of time with Walter. So we would go to TV on occasion and, um, you know, you think about TV and how busy it is. So we'd be out back and uh, Walt and I would walk around the corner and there would be Vince deep in conversation with someone. And he would stop. And you think about how busy he is at TV. He would stop doing with what he was doing. and would come to Walter and just give him five to ten minutes of undivided attention. And that went for every superstar. As he walked up and down the hallway, they would stop and shake his hand from Ric Flair to Hulk to Rick Rude. Uh, you name it, with where the guys and girls would just stop in their tracks and just stop and say thank you to him um, or just make, you know, conversation with where, you know, how you doing? So um, it was pretty it was it was pretty impressive to see really the amount of respect that he was able to garner with where um, I mean, I, I just I can't say it enough. I can respect that. We we talk a lot uh, on the show 
about the decline of professional wrestling. We we kind of touched on it earlier with the the change in fan involvement and fan interest. Um, I mean, a lot of things have changed. Benny was was we were talking before the show. Uh, Benny, you you had an opinion on this. You wanted to expand on. As far as why why we think you know why it's happening, the decline. Yeah, I, I mean several things. Um, you know, the big really big thing, and uh, I for me it is is you know right now you really don't know who to cheer for. There's there's an inability to differentiate between a baby face and a heel. That's one. You know, another one would be the discontinuance of managers. So I grew up in the era of Lou Albano, Freddie Blassie, and the Grand Wizard, three phenomenal managers, and then you had Jimmy Hart. Bobby the Brain, Mr. Fuji, I mean, all great managers. Um, then also the the lack of um, emphasis on tag team wrestling. Now, last week we had George Shire, who is an AWA historian, and we were talking about how sometimes the main event, even uh, growing up in MSG, sometimes the main event was a tag team match. And, and right now, I think WWE just gives it lip service. And the last thing is the discontinuance of color. Um, you don't really see blood in, in matches anymore and, and not that I want to see it all the time but you know every once in a while I think it's appropriate to kind of further the storyline so I don't know how you feel about any of those things but if, if somebody said to you Mike you're the new czar of wrestling and you can you can do what you want to, to pick up interest um, what would you do would you would you incorporate any of those things back into wrestling I feel <laughs> You know, I think one of the key components that's missing today, and, you know, you touched upon it earlier, um, it's really with where people, um, from an emotional standpoint, we're just, we're, we're just really struggling with how to make that connection um, with where it's resonating in, over conversation at the dinner, dinner table, uh, coffee shop, water cooler. You know, there's not that name brand or that name person or star you know from the austin the rocks um to the flares there's just you know there's there are guys and girls that are working and they're all all so very talented but it's just like something's missing today with where it's it's really making that emotional connection um that's really making us care so i think i'd go back to you know the fundamental piece is you know why do we have good versus evil because without that it just becomes lack of emotion and without emotion, there's no interest. And um, I think what, you know, we're just, we're really just struggling with that piece today. So that would be, you know, my main focus with where um, it's a pivotal piece, whether it's professional wrestling or watching a movie, you know, there has to be good versus evil. And I just think that we got to do a better job in creating that connection. You know, I mentioned our good friend Evan Ginsberg before, and he was the associate producer of a great movie called 350 Days. And yeah. one of my favorite characters in that movie is Howard Jerome, who was a wrestler. And I think now he's he's an entertainer. But what he said, and I'll never forget it, he said, there's a longing in the human heart to see good triumph over evil. And I think you have to, you know, when you watch a match, you you have to have uh, a guy to cheer for. And if you can't decide, I think that really takes away from your enjoyment of the match. You know, there's only so many moves I can watch and they're impressive with what they do, but I have to be 
not as a wrestling trainer, just a, a, when I watch wrestling as a fan, I have to I have to be emotionally vested um, so that I care. And once you're able to do that, just not with me, but our vast audience, I think it allows us to create a connection with where people don't want to look at their phone. They don't want to get up. They don't want to have a conversation. If we, if, if you can't garner that, it's a key component with where there's a vested interest. And, you know, Pat Patterson used to say this all the time. There always has to be good versus evil. And um, you've got to be able to make that connection. And if you can't, um, you know, it's, it becomes a long night. I, I can't agree more. And I've been more critical of some of the modern product than Benny has. And I think that stems from just, I don't know, maybe I'm a little grumpier. I don't know. But um, the, the thing that gets me, you talk about good versus evil is also the, for lack of a better term, the suspension of disbelief. I watch a wrestling match. You talk about moves and, and we've mentioned some names uh, today that it has to look like a, and feel like a real fight. You know, uh, mm. I've seen grudge matches, months in build grudge matches that start with a lockup and there's rest holds. And no, you guys want to kill each other. You know, yeah. uh, Benny has, has, we've, we've brought it up many times before, but you watch Lawler Dundee or uh, some of the early days of, uh, Satan, Kevin Sullivan, and, and and the the fact that there was legit this guy is evil and we need to beat him. I need to hurt you. But now I watch the matches today and it's the bell rings and it's immediate jump roll, you know, high spot, high spot, high spot, bam, 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 kick, kick, bam, and, and it it comes off looking like a choreographed stage show. And when mm. it stopped feeling like, and now granted, I look back to. You know, when I was growing up in the in the eighties, you know, eighties WrestleMania days, Hogan Andre was was a very WrestleMania three was a very choreographed match. It had to be with with Andre, you know, he as he was already starting to suffer the physical limitations, but it still felt like a real triumph. I watch matches now and I see guys kicking out at two after getting power bombed through a table and getting hit in the head with this, that, and the other, and it just doesn't feel real. It feels I hate to use the word, but it feels fake. I'm wondering, yeah. as someone who's been on the other side, is there a way to train that out of people? Or is that something that's trained in them, where they came from, that you have to just spot, 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 and make things look phony? So, for example, for, you know, we're, at, you know, we're having training class tonight, and uh, we, you know, we're going through a series of things. And um, you know, I've got two students, and they go to lock up. And I watched, and um, it wasn't with what I wanted. And, and I explained to him, there was no dogfight. There was nothing with where it was captivating, with where, I, as I said to them, there's no reason for me to watch. And, um, you know, a perfect example, I used to remember when I was sitting ringside working on the ring crew, you know, watching the matches. You know, I'd watch the likes of, you know, a, a Rick Rude or a Bret Hart. And um, um, everything that they did down to the smallest things was just so credible and believable. And that's really the, the message that we, you know, from a training standpoint today with our students, you know, talking about getting into the weeds, those are the things that we stress with where if you're not, if you're not making it look like a dogfight, because they know it's a work, 
but you can really captivate someone's attention if you've got great facials, body language, how you take things, how you snatch things, you know, um, what you're doing with your facials and your eyes. I mean, there's a story to be told there. So no one goes through the emotions with us. And um, because when you go through the emotions, you're getting noticed for the wrong reason. So we really try to instill upon if you're going to bring it and if you're going to have an opportunity to get in that ring, there's a fundamental difference between you and the guy that's sitting in the chair. Um, and you better have that liveliness or because if not, you're not going to get another opportunity. I would have to say Tommaso Champa then is an A++ student because I watched that guy. And like Dan said, that guy, I, I could see that guy in 1981 in Memphis or, you know, um, on Saturday night, you know, from Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS, you know, in 1987. He's just that legitimate. So he he was definitely, yeah. I think he took everything you, you, you trained, you know, into him to heart. Yeah, I mean... Uh, and it just resonated. And, you know, if you watch him today, he just does all of those little things, whether he's a good guy, bad guy. Um, and it just, uh, it's able to resonate uh, out of the ring to the audience with where um, he has a great ability to hold fans interest to with where they want to continue to watch. I mean, with what he's done at NXT, um, is is phenomenal from a work standpoint you know and there was a time with where johnny a said to him hey you've got to go find your way you're not there yet and to his credit he didn't take his ball and, and go home he traveled europe and found you know his way and how to make those nuances work for him with his in-ring work and it's speaking volumes you know today with what he's doing because he's not a big guy but he's compelling and he's believable and there's a sense of realism with his work I want to, you know, when the Miz goes on TV, you know, it's it's either time for a bathroom break or uh, time for a sandwich. Um, <laughs> Tomasa Champa, like I'm sitting there watching him. Yeah, and you know, to your point, you know, why you're watching him? It's because he's not jumping off the top rope. The reason why you're watching him is because there's something that that was able to um, that gravitated to you, whether it's his body language, facial expressions, or how he, how he takes something or how he works into something that says to you, that's legit. He's not a sports entertainer. He's a wrestler in my book. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of, of the modern product, there's a couple of talents that, that I tend to beat up on. And I know they, they come up often, um, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on them, but, uh, the two that, that, that always come to mind are Kenny Omega and the young bucks. And the issue I have with their in-ring style, other than the constant high spots and what we talked about earlier with it, not looking like a fight is the, the, the fact that the, you, you pull these moves off and they do these, these prancy goofy stuff that looks phony. I'm wondering two is kind of a two part question. One, is there anybody you watch? Well, before we, I get to that, do you even, do you follow the modern product much anymore? Yeah, I, I, I continue to watch. I mean, I watch NXT, you know, cause I'm always curious to see how the guys are doing, you know, and with what they're doing and, um, you know, the quality of work. So, um, I do still, I still do watch, uh, on occasion, but not as much as I should. Okay, well then, to get to that, it's kind of a two-part question then. Is there anybody today that you wished 
like, man, I, I, I would have loved that for them to have gone through our school. And part two, is there anybody today that you see things and you're like, oh, if somebody could just get him to do this differently. Uh, you, you know, it, it, is there anybody today that you wish you could just get your hands on for a little bit to say, look, uh, a month with me and we can work this kink out. Is there anybody today that, that you would like to or, or you follow and just kind of wish you, you had a chance to work with? Um, you know, I, I, I think for me, it's, you know, when I, when I'm watching today, um, it's with what we can clean up all together. I think that, um, again, it's just really being able to live in the moment is probably the one thing that I would share with a lot of guys and girls is, you know, understanding how to get mileage with one's work, um, with where it create with where it creates emotional value with where people don't want to get up and go get popcorn. Um, but I understand how it's changed and, you know, with what they're up against because of TV and so forth and so on. Um, so it's a balance, but I think from a broad standpoint, a broader standpoint, it's just how to get more out of your work with where it becomes more compelling for people that are watching and they truly appreciate with what you're bringing to the table. Mike, if, if somebody wants to join your school, so tell us you know, all the specifics. Uh, it's, it's, it's called Next Gen Wrestling Academy, correct? It is called the Next Gen Wrestling Center, which is located in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. Yep. So how do and, we, how do we uh, if we want to, Dan and I want to go for a tryout, how do we do that? Um, you can reach out to either myself or Bud Browning, who is the owner of the school and the school, you know, currently is um, just an up-and-coming school. We're probably three months in, and uh, myself and another gentleman by the name of Johnny Vegas are helping Bud Browning um, get a school up off the ground. Located in Manchester, New Hampshire, you know, a um, center of um, pretty easy to get to. Uh, a great atmosphere from a learning standpoint with where we're really covering the nuts and bolts, um, you know, um, a really a, a good place to cut your teeth um, to understanding, you know, the do's and don'ts and, um, you know, creating a, a real sense of clarity, um, you know, if you want to get involved in the world of professional wrestling. Okay. Well, as we, as we wrap up here, then um, two questions. The first is, is it specifically, wrestlers do you work with people who want to be managers referees or other other or is it specifically in-ring talent nope um we work with referees we've got a couple guys now that are coming in cutting their teeth uh learning the ropes with what it you know what it takes to be a referee um we also have got a couple managers that are working with as well it's also the other part that's exciting about the school you know bud browning is an author uh, so he's very big into the character development piece. Um, so we really try to, you know, it's a 360 approach from the, you know, from the fundamentals to the in-ring work, the character development. Um, and probably the other piece that's really important, you know, as we've talked about, is we realize that everyone's not going to go on to become that next WWE or, a, you know, AEW superstar. Um, so it's a really opportunity for us to instill self-confidence uh, point guys and girls uh, in the right direction, both, you know, in the school, out of the school, um, that whole self-confidence piece. 
So um, we're really trying to do a lot with where, you know, we're making better people as well. Um, and, you know, really trying to fulfill dreams. If then there are people that um, have the ability to get to the next level, we can say that we've honestly given them a great foundation to start uh, on the do's and don'ts. To, with their, there's nothing worse being in, the, in a room where the, where the lights are off and trying to find your way. So um, we're really trying to instill some uh, real clarity in with one's in-ring training as well as outside of the ring as well. Great stuff. Uh, you know, friend of the show, our very first guest, um, prior prior to his passing, Benny was trying to, to book himself in a match with Dominic DiNucci. And Benny, uh, he never quite never quite got to that level. Nope. But I'm curious, as we get, uh, as we talk about the future, you know, if, if Benny's ever in town, um, any any chance he can uh, he can swing by for for a free lesson? Hey, I I would love for you guys to come by and you know see with what we're doing at the at Next Gen Wrestling Center. I think you know your takeaways from and seeing with what we're doing uh, would be mind blowing. Um, I think it would be a great opportunity again to share the you know uh, our successes and with what we're trying to create. Um, and it would really paint the picture for you and your listeners, you know, that there's a lot of great things happening here in Manchester, New Hampshire, um, you know, both in the ring and out of the ring for our prospective students and, and, to, and to, you know, potential future stars as well. You know, Mike, a lot of businesses are straw huts. Yours definitely sounds like a brick house. I mean, you, you really, you're, everything I'm hearing is you guys are very thorough and you, you really, you, you know, attentive to the very last detail. Yeah, you know, it's probably one of the things that I'm really proud of is that, um, you know, it was instilled upon me early. Um, make sure that your students are being noticed for the right reasons, both in and out of the ring. Um, turn over every rock to, again, create uh, stones to create opportunities for them. Um, always give back to the business with where, um, with where I've been so fortunate to, to be able to do with what I do. Um, so forever thankful for that and just really want to make it with where um, we're pointing guys and girls in the right direction to be successful, not only in wrestling, but in, like I, we talked about, in life as well. Right. Nothing but respect for that mentality. Uh, Mike, I, I cannot appreciate enough your time um the insight obviously what you guys do is incredibly important and the legacy of the next gen wrestling center uh i mean some of the names we mentioned today uh, ha at least half a dozen future hall of famers off the top of my head and i'm sure some of the talent you have right now world champions you know soon enough and uh, i can't i can't again thank thank you enough for your time um as we wrap up do you have any any final thoughts, uh, any social media you want to plug, anything like that for, for the center? Um, just follow the, uh, the Next Gen Wrestling uh, website is up and running. So, you know, keep your eye out for that. Um, you can also visit hollowstables.net um, again for, you know, my training and how it's tied in with the Next Gen Wrestling Center. Um, there's some great pieces from the likes of uh, Kofi Kingston, Tommaso Champa. Um, and others on the website with where they're talking about the school forever grateful for that. And, uh, if one has aspirations to get into this, you know, great business with where there's so many opportunities, um, don't be afraid to find us, reach out to us. And, uh, 
I would love to be able to take the next potential superstars and uh, point them in the right direction and creating levels of success uh, both in and out of the ring. Excellent. Again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, but we'll have to try try and, and see if we can't talk again in the future. Um, Mike Hollow, the, the Next Gen Wrestling Center, uh, check them out. Again, thank you, Mike, for all your time. Um, you have yourself a great evening, and uh, we'll definitely reach out to you again. Very good. Thanks, guys. Have a great night, and thoroughly appreciate it. Stay safe. All right. You too. Thank Take you. Care, Mike. So what do you think, Benny? You know, looking back on my long and illustrious life, I mean, a good teacher, and I'm sure you feel the same way, you know, you've had very good teachers and you've had very bad teachers, and each of them have a profound influence, both good and bad. And it sounds like next gen, it's solid. I mean, you're going to get a, you're going to learn everything you need to know. And like he said, even if you don't cut it as a pro wrestler, it, you're going to be, be a better person for it, for the discipline and everything else you learn there. Absolutely. You know, uh, I spent time and and still. For, will help out here and there, uh, working as a, as a teacher, substituting and whatnot. And I always learned in studying education, there was an old saying that, that people become a teacher for one of two reasons. At some point in your life, you had a really good one, or at some point in your life, you had a really bad one. And obviously, Kowalski uh, was a good one. Mike is a good one. And, and I can't help but think 10, 15, 20 years from now, I picture Tommaso Ciampa, Kofi Kingston, some of these guys, you yeah. know, they're going to have wrestling schools and they're going to be doing the putting out the next generation of star and they're it's going to be that style. So it's, it's almost like the, uh, you know, the ripple effect in, in you put out a handful of good students, people watch wrestling and go, I want to be like that. And the product as a whole gets better because more wrestlers want to learn that style versus the, the crazy flippy, crap that you and I both despise. I just, it's, it's incredible to see. I'm glad. I'm also glad. I know, uh, we talked with Javier before we went on the air, uh, friend of the show that, uh, we wanted to get Mike's thoughts on China's comments, uh, in her book. I'm glad he dispelled them. We, you and I both said we, we were pretty sure it was bogus Absolutely. anyway, yep. but that's, it's a shame. And, you know, obviously uh, plenty of, of legit sources dispelled that. So I'm glad he was able to get that uh, cleared up. But as we as we wrap up, Benny, you have any final thoughts? Well, one last thing. So two weeks from tonight, uh, by way of the North Pole via Shawsville, Virginia, we will have Boogie Claus. And uh, we do have a giveaway that we're featuring on our Facebook page. We're giving away a beautiful tie-dyed uh, BWC 30th anniversary commemorative t-shirt so all you got to do is go on the page you can you can message us us as well uh to enter the drawing and uh it'll be signed by jimmy valiant and shipped right to your home so uh, you better watch out you better not cry you better not pout i'm telling you why boogie claus is coming to town absolutely and we could not ask for a better christmas special especially especially given the current environment and the fun we've had uh, wrap up the year talking to our sponsor and check it out on the Facebook page. We've already got a decent number of people that have expressed interest in the shirt. So we'll do, I guess you'll, uh, you'll pick names out of a hat, but uh, it should be, it should be fun. And we've got a lot of good stuff coming we keep growing, keep chugging along. 
we're going to end end 2021 on a good note. Absolutely. So for, absolutely. So for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time. Boogie Claus is coming.